G'day folks, welcome to episode 133 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray and this week we're going to have a look at some interesting security updates that have happened during the week, in particular for EDK2 uh, and CA certificates, so we're going to go into some details about those plus Apache and Linux kernel and some others. As well, I thought it would be interesting to have a brief look at some research that was published about uh, this SSID stripping attack from AirEye, in particular targeting uh, Ubuntu and other platforms. Uh, and we'll go over the uh, open positions that are open on the team as well. But uh, let's get straight into it. So as I say, this week there were 28 unique CVEs that were addressed by the team. Uh, first up was an update for the Linux kernel. Uh, this was for uh, S390X, uh, IBM platform in particular. Uh, in this case, it was a, a BPF, a just-in-time compiler uh, verifier bypass. So basically, because uh, untrusted users can generally provide BPF code to the kernel to execute, there is a verifier that tries to make sure that they're not doing anything they shouldn't do. They're like you know, accessing memory outside of um, you know, memory bounds and that kind of thing. Uh, in this case, they found ways that could be uh, bypassed that on uh, S390X in particular. So that has been fixed. Uh, there was no uh, CVE assigned for that, but that is fixes have gone all the way back to uh, the kernel for Ubuntu 16.04, Extended Security Maintenance, as well as 18.04 and 20.04 Long-Term Support and the 21.04 release. Uh, an update as well for SQL parse. Uh, this is uh, Python utility for parsing SQL statements. Uh, in this case, it was a regular expression denial of service attack. So uh, the kind of thing we've seen, I guess, more of these um, recently, I guess regular expressions are uh, helpful and powerful, but obviously if you um, do something there where it has to do a lot of computational uh, power to figure out what it is that you're trying to match, uh, you can then introduce uh, these kind of denial of service attacks. In this case, uh, there was a case of exponential backtracking through a large amount of uh, carriage return and new line combinations used. Uh, that was actually introduced in a more recent uh, update for SQL parse upstream, and so it only affects uh, the Ubuntu 21.04 release and none of the earlier releases. An update after that for WebKit GDK. Uh, this is for a bunch of releases 18.04 and 20.04 long-term support and 21.04. Single CVE here, which was a use after free uh, in the underlying WebKit uh, implementation. This was actually reported by Apple, but as marked as affecting you know, iOS and uh, macOS and other things, not actually against WebKit directly, but with a fix has now gone out. So yeah, thanks to the upstream WebKit GDK developers for, I guess, tagging that one. After that was an update for EDK2. This is the uh, free implementation of UFI BIOS uh, that's often used for virtual machines. Uh, there were four different CVEs that were fixed in this. Uh, a couple of these were in the embedded copy of OpenSSL that is in EDK2, plus two issues that were specific to EDK2 itself. One of these was in the handling of Intel BootGuard, and that's designed to detect uh, attacks against the static root of trust on Intel machines, in particular against uh, modification of the initial boot block. Uh, this is uh, usually a spy flash chip that uh, the you know, initial bootloader is loaded from by the CPU. In this case, uh, some researchers found actually back in 2019 that an attacker with physical access to that um, spy flash chip could then get code execution after the uh, initial boot block had been loaded from the flash chip and validated. So essentially uh, what the CPU does is that then reads that into, uh, into memory, validates it, and then measures it into the TPM, so into uh, the TPM PCR0. Uh, then what could happen is the spy, uh, if you could then inject uh, spy transactions after that, you could modify the contents of that, um, the bootloader in memory. And so then you've now gone and modified it after it's actually been validated. And then you can get code execution as a result that won't be picked up by uh, the TPM. And so, you know, everything will think it's boot being booted uh, in a trusted manner, but it hasn't been. 
So I guess it's interesting uh, because, you know, these sort of static root of trust type attacks, you know, we saw similar things back with the grub boot hole vulnerabilities, but those are a bit higher level in the chain. Uh, in this case, you know, you need physical access to the machine. Uh, you're going to have to build probably like a hardware implant that you're going to inject into the machine so that someone could boot it, uh, you know, without knowing. So it's the kind of thing that is only relevant, I guess, if you're worried about being attacked by a nation state. But yeah, still interesting from a security perspective nonetheless. Uh, an update after that for CA certificates. This one uh, actually is more interesting from a real-world point of view. This, uh, the updates for this go all the way back to actually 1204 extended security maintenance, although that one has only just gone out. Uh, uh, it also affects 1404 extended security maintenance, 1604 extended security maintenance, 1804 long-term support, 204 long-term support, and the 2104 release. Uh, so basically, CA certificates is the package that ships all of the trusted uh, root certificates and the like uh, for your machine. And these are kind of agreed on by uh, you know, upstream browser vendors and all the rest of that. Uh, so things like, you know, they trust things like Let's Encrypt so that Let's Encrypt can issue certificates for websites and your machine will then trust those as a result. Uh, so when Let's Encrypt first started out, you know, they didn't start with their own trusted root certificate that was integrated already into you know, all the machines. They actually got their intermediate certificate signed by an existing trusted root certificate, which was Identrust's uh, DST root CAX3 root certificate. Uh, and so uh, what they termed their across signature. So that was signed by them. Uh, that was so that then they could start issuing certificates and people would trust them automatically. So a good way to get started. Uh, this certificate, though, expired uh, yesterday, as I record this, uh, 30th of September, uh, 2021. And you can imagine uh, things, you know, not surprising that things may have happened as a result. Uh, and so what if, if you can imagine then that you only, say, had that original DST root um, trust certificate uh, installed, uh, all of your connections to any Let's Encrypt uh, issued uh, HTTPS server would fail. Uh, but what's happened over time is obviously Let's Encrypt have gone and gotten their own trusted root uh, certificate. And so uh, most all of the certificates that they issue are signed by that as well. So you can validate back to that and uh, you should be fine. The issue is that older versions of uh, OpenSSL and GNU TLS, in particular OpenSSL 1.0.x, which is still in Ubuntu releases 16.04, uh, 4.04 and 1204, uh, will see that longer certificate chain back to the now expired certificate and uh, they could then um, return that back to the application. The application would go and validate uh, that chain and then would then see that it changed back to an expired root certificate and would then fail to connect to uh, that server as a result. Uh, so the simple fix to this was to blacklist uh, that now expired certificate. That then means that it won't get returned as a valid certificate chain. Instead, it will return the chain back to uh, Let's Encrypt's own root certificate and things should still validate uh, properly. And it was interesting to see that we actually saw this ourselves internally. Uh, we've still got a few machines running uh, Precise, which is 1204 ESM. And uh, yeah, they started suddenly failing to connect to things like Launchpad and the like uh, because, yeah, we're using Let's Encrypt certificates there as well. So yeah, that has now been fixed, as I say, all the way back to 1204 ESM. Uh, this is sort of one of the 1204 ESM really is dead. We hope not to be using that and issuing things, but we know it is still used out in the wild as well. So yeah, we have issued that so that uh, you know people can still keep making uh, HTTPS connections wherever they need to.
After that uh, was an update for the Apache web server. Um, five different CVs were fixed in this. Again, that also goes back to 14.04 extended security maintenance and all of the releases since those. Uh, one of these was a HTTP2 specific issue. So uh, in this case, a crafted method would be able to bypass the validation and be forwarded to mod proxy. Uh, that could then lead to various uh, request splitting or cache poisoning attacks that could be conducted as a result. Uh, there was also a null pointer reference that could be triggered through crafted request. Uh, what else? We've got an out of bounds read in mod proxy uh, micro WSGI. So that kind of thing could lead to a crash or maybe information leak if it was returning that uh, the contents of that memory back to the requester. Uh, there was an out of bounds write in the AP escape quotes function uh, if that was given malicious input. Uh, this is used by various uh, Apache modules, but they don't actually pass untrusted input to that. So if you are just using Apache and the standard modules, you are safe. But if you have developed your own third party modules that were passing untrusted input to that, uh, you know that's been fixed now so that you are protected. And finally, there was uh, an issue where a crafted request to mod proxy uh, could then result in that uh, request being forwarded to an origin server that was specified within the request. So this is a case of server-side request forgery, basically where the attacker can specify where this you know, should go to, and then the server goes and uh, makes that request on behalf of it. Uh, the fix for this then resulted though in a more strict interpretation of the set handler configuration option for mod proxy and that ended up breaking unfortunately various configurations that were using Unix sockets uh, as a result. Uh, this got, um, you know, this Unix socket directive got interpreted more like a URI, uh, whereas previously, you know, people would use that more like a file uh, type directive, and that would now be seen as invalid. This broke a bunch of setups out in the wild, in particular Plesk. I know there was a lot of uh, issues there. Uh, so, uh, you know, a few days after these upstream fixes were done, uh, upstream released further fixes, and so now we've incorporated those as well. So, yeah, you are now uh, a bit safer if you're running Apache. After that was updates for the Linux kernel. So I'm not gonna go into too much detail on these, but we had updates for the kernel in Ubuntu uh, 20.04 on Clem support, which is used as the hardware enablement kernel for 18.04. As well, uh, the kernel in uh, Ubuntu 21.04, that's a 5.11 based kernel, which is used as the hardware enablement kernel for Ubuntu 20.04. In particular, this actually contained a vulnerability in the IOU ring subsystem. This is a reasonably new subsystem uh, designed for doing, I guess, uh, better and faster asynchronous I.O. It's able to be used by unprivileged users, but in this case, they were able to trigger a free of uh, adjacent kernel memory, so they could then potentially get code execution as a result. Uh, plus, there were some issues there in the BPF verifier where uh, you could mount uh, Spectre-like side channel attacks to leak kernel memory, uh, and a KVM guest was able to corrupt host memory on PowerPC. That's also been fixed as well. Uh, updates as well then for the kernel uh, in 18.04 long-term support. Uh, that's a 5.4 based kernel, which is then used as our extended as our hardware enablement kernel, should I say, for 16.04 uh, extended security maintenance and for uh, some particular platforms in 14.04 uh, extended security maintenance as well. And last of all, one that I'm sure will be interesting to a lot of uh, the software developers out there, we had an update for Vim. This goes all the way back to 1404 Extended Security Maintenance plus 1604 Extended Security Maintenance, 1804 and 2004 Long-Term Support and the 2104 Interim Release. So in this case, uh, there was possible code execution through a couple different heat buffer overflows that could be triggered and one possible use after free as well. So if you are opening untrusted files, which I guess a lot of developers might be, you know, you clone some Git repo out there and you've got to open uh, some source code file or, what, or whatnot, uh, you're now a little bit safer against that. And that is it for the week in security updates. 
So as I mentioned at the start, the other thing I wanted to have a look at in this week's episode was a recent uh, blog post that I saw from AirEye where they were talking about uh, what they've dubbed an an SSID stripping attack that uh, was able to be mounted against various uh, operating systems, uh, both uh, Windows, Mac OS, iOS, Android, and Ubuntu. It's not often that we see Ubuntu mentioned in these sorts of things, so I thought it'd be interesting to kind of drill down into this one a bit more. Uh, so what they're doing here is a combination of, I guess, what uh, more like a lookalike uh, attack against access point names and possible string format vulnerabilities as well. So they talk about creating uh, an access point with an SSID, with a name, you know, whatever it might be. You're going to say mine here at home is called home. So you might create one called home as well, but then you append to that a bunch of like percent %p, percent %n, percent %p, percent %n sort of uh, format string directives. And you could use that potentially as, say, a format string attack, but those sorts of characters may not also get displayed to the user. So then they would see uh, this access point just called home, even though it's not really, and they might go and try to connect to that. Uh, the other thing they also talk about then, though, is not just using these sort of format string directives, but also using non-printable characters. So as you're probably aware now with Unicode and things, there's a huge array of characters that aren't easily printable in various either um, encodings or even with various fonts, if you've got them or not, whether they can represent that or not. And there are even characters like, you know, zero width spaces and the like that won't get printed at all. Uh, well, there's no, you know, no way to easily display those to the user in any sense, even if you have got, say, fonts and things and the like. So you can create uh, SSIDs with names that have these characters in them as well, and the user won't be able to see that. They'll just get displayed like the name that you want it to. So this isn't really new, though. We've seen similar things like this uh, used in the domain name system. So creating uh, like a domain that looks like, say, google.com, but has, you know, we've, even back in the original days, you would get, say, a capital uh, I in the place of an L in simple fonts. But you can now imagine with, as I say, with Unicode and things, there are lots of ways that you can represent characters that look almost identical depending on uh, what font is being used. And so, yeah, this isn't really a new thing. This has been used for a long time for phishing attacks and the like to try and trick people to following them. Uh, the other thing to note, though, too, is they talk about Ubuntu being affected, but they don't really say what component it is. You know, there are lots of things in the Wi-Fi stack uh, in Ubuntu. Obviously, there's WPA supplicant down at the bottom, Network Manager that kind of manages that, and then GNOME Shell in particular on default Ubuntu that is displaying these sorts of things to the user. You know, you, you usually pick what uh, access point you want to pick to through that or maybe through uh, the GNOME Control Center as well. So, yeah, it's not really clear what component they think would be affected um, or even really how to, you know, remediate this kind of thing tricking a user into connecting to a very similarly named network uh, you know is obviously doable you know there aren't easy ways as I say to be able to represent all these things to users you know to make it obvious that these two things that look like they're named the same actually aren't and that you know you might want to connect to this one instead of that one because that's the one you normally connect to the good thing I guess to know though is that the security protocols built into Wi-Fi don't say allow your credentials to be easily captured though as a result you know if I were to connect to someone else's uh, access point called home even though I normally connect to mine um, my machine you know I'm using WPA2 with pre-shared key and so uh, that's common setup for you know home users uh, in that case uh, there's a four-way handshake as part of the protocol that uh, my machine will do to the access point And as a result, they each have to prove to each other that they know that pre-shared key before they then go and communicate. And they do that in a way without revealing the pre-shared key to each other. So when, say, my machine goes to connect to this rogue access point, it's not going to actually reveal the uh, the pre-shared key to that. So there's no way that my credentials can be captured as a result. 
the only really risk here is if you're going to connect to say uh, you know an unsecured access point and so you may then connect to the wrong unsecured one but look if you're connecting to unsecured access points anyway someone can just sniff your traffic uh, you know off the air anyway they don't need you to connect to their access point to be able to do that so yeah uh, you know it's an interesting attack but not really anything with I guess real world um, impact uh, likely here at all Okay, so the other thing I just wanted to mention is we do still have some open roles on the team. We are looking for a Linux security uh, and cryptography engineer to join our certifications team. As well, uh, we've got an open position for what we call a generalist on our team. So that's just doing general security patching of Ubuntu, uh, you know, doing the kind of updates that I talk about each week and, you know, building new hardening features and the like. As well, uh, a security product manager. So to work with our team and with the other teams at uh, Canonical to build, uh, I guess, better security products and work with our customers and all of that cool stuff as well. So I've got links to all of those three different positions in the show notes if you think any of those would appeal to you and you'd be interested in helping make your favorite operating system more secure, I urge you to apply. Okay, the last thing I wanted to mention in this episode is that I'm going to be taking a week's break next week. The podcast will be on break for one week. We will be back in your feed in two weeks time in about the middle of October. So yeah, if you are missing things next week, I apologize. Uh, and just finally, as quickly, I just want to do a shout out to the Ubuntu podcast team. Uh, I listen to you guys each week and you're yeah, very sad to hear that you guys are ending the podcast now uh, after, I think, 14 years of doing that. So we'll miss hearing you uh, in my podcast feed. But uh, yeah, I hope you all go on to awesome things as a result and yeah, maybe spring up on some other podcasts too. Uh, if you are listening to this and you don't listen to the Ubuntu podcast, go to ubuntupodcast.org. Uh, they've got their whole back catalog there that you can listen to on YouTube as well. Okay, that's it for this week's episode. Uh, as usual, if you want to get in contact with the team, you can reach us at securityubuntu.com. We are also in the Ubuntu security channel on the libera.chat IRC network. And we are on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec as well. Okay, so thanks everyone for listening again for another week. I will be back in your feed in two weeks' time. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back. And I'll speak to you soon. Bye.